This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Asher Tolliver. Rolling right along into October, and it's been a heck of a waterfowl season thus far. It will only pick up from here, and we are excited to keep getting after it. Today, we are going to talk through general waterfowl strategy and some of the most common questions we receive. To help me with this, I'm joined on the phone by fellow dive bomb employees, Forrest Carpenter and Kyle Jones. Fellas, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? How's it going? It's going. What are you guys doing? <laughs> And I'm sitting here with uh, Little Forest. We got uh, we, we tried a little nap time a few minutes ago, but it didn't really pan out so hot. So, so uh, he, he's, he might be joining us periodically throughout this thing as well. That's all right. We'll have left too as a, a special fourth guest on this episode. Might hear a little giggle every once in a while. <laughs> he's heavy into the hiccups uh, right now. <laughs> how's life on the road treating you guys so far this season? It's good so far, man. It's been, uh, you know, the past past week we were, you know, we were at Missouri, Minnesota, South Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota. So it was kind of a, uh, and then went back to Minnesota. So it's kind of it's kind of been uh, zigzagging across the U.S. So, uh, but it's been it's been good so far. Been uh, been seeing a lot of birds fall. Uh, you know, we saw, I think, close to 60 birds die at Cody's place. Those are the first ducks he shot off his farm, his new personal farm. And then in a span of a few days, you know, we shot, you know, almost 75 honkers and just, with just maxed out. And then we went up and hunted with Louis Casper, shot a few, and then up in Duncan and shot a few there. So it's been we're keeping a, keeping a record of the, the birds we see fall this year just to see, you know, how many birds we've shot so far. Sure. Overall, how would you guys rate the quality of September? You know, I feel like, in my opinion, for the birds we've seen, you know, with, with September being one of the most difficult months to really consistently be on birds, uh, you know, even with a good scout and getting on X's, a lot of times you get just the slightest change in weather, or, uh, wind direction, and, and these birds can flip a switch on you. I feel like uh, for the number of, of hunts we've had and for the number of birds we've seen, it's been overwhelmingly successful. Um, you know, the birds that we have seen, gosh, I think I can count on one hand the number of groups that have blown us off, uh, and the rest of them have really just bought it hook, line, and sinker, and... You know, if you know me, you know I'm, I'm more of a the quality over quantity type. So sure. having the uh, the quality of birds finishing right when we ask them to, playing just right, being real talkative on the way in. I mean, it's it's just tough to beat, in my opinion. Definitely. So this podcast, we're recording it a little sooner than up until the date it will release, simply because I'm getting ready to hit the road for a little while. So I'm getting ready to go to New York. We're going to hunt with Eastern View Outfitters. I'm going to hop across the border to Ontario. We're going to go see St. Lawrence. And I'm excited to get up there. That pocket of birds in the past, this time of year, have been very, very good to us. 
And this is a trip that I'm really, really looking forward to this little swing that's coming up. So I'm sure on the next podcast, you'll hear me report back on that one and how it went. And, you know, by the time this one actually releases, you'll see, you'll already know how it went through Instagram, Facebook, the story. We might even have a vlog up by then. So I'm pretty pumped about this one coming up. Is, is this the trip you're looking forward to probably most so far, Asher, throughout the year? Or is this because is, you you're know, getting ready to? I look forward to all of them for different reasons, whether it's a different area for time of year. I mean, this area that we're going to this time of year is just beautiful. Uh, they're just the colors of the trees, the landscape. It's incredible. But this is definitely one that you probably circle on the calendar for a content perspective. You know that you're going to have birds that are going to likely play pretty nice. And this is one where you feel like you can really check some boxes on some stuff that you need to get uh, behind the lens. So I'm pretty excited about this one for that reason, but I look forward to all of them. You know, some hunts you go on, there's different expectations based on the species, time of year, what you're going after, what the goals and objectives are for that trip. But every trip I've taken so far this year, just like pretty much any other year, they've all been a a pleasure for different reasons. But this one yeah, it's definitely one when you put it on the schedule, you go into it with very high expectations for quality kills at a close range and the volume, you expect the volume to be there. I mean, you're talking in New York, uh, there's no plugs. I mean, so you're you're unplugged, usually pretty big group, so you've got the opportunity to put up the century mark, you know, anytime you have the opportunity to do that and possibly capture that behind the lens, whether it's on a vlog or just getting countless opportunities with the camera to get these birds just scratching their toenails on the top of those decoys is that's pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. I'm pretty pumped about it. I don't think you guys need any introduction for the folks that are listening to this. So Let's just hop right into it. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. Sounds good to me. I want to begin this by saying most of these questions are geared toward hunting Canada geese, as that will be the most relatable species for the highest number of our listeners. So let's just come out of the gate hot and start talking about flocking. Easily one of the most popular topics we see online. Forrest, we'll start with you. We'll touch on the black and whites later, but... Between the standard unflocked V2s, the flocked heads of the V2F, and soon-to-be fully flocked V2FF, how would you help one determine how much flocking they need in their decoy spread? You know, the, the best way that I've found to describe it is the more badly you need to be seen, the more flocking I want on a decoy. So simply, if I'm out and I'm hunting an X. Uh, you know, say it's um, my own piece of property. I've got 50 hunkers that just keep coming to the same spot day in, day out. I'm waiting for season to open. The geese know where they're going. I know where they're going. I'm just giving them something to center up on. 
Um, I think that the standard V2s are perfect for that. There's really no need to, you know, do anything fancy. And you can kill geese in just about any scenario over the standard V2s. I love those. They don't get enough credit, frankly. Um, but if you're in a situation where you need to be seen more badly, even just having the flocked heads goes a long way in creating a lot more contrast to increase your footprint and increase your visibility at a distance. Um, so say we're, you know, just, uh, maybe honey under a flight line and we've got, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, Canada's flying over and I'm trying to shortstop them from a feed. I think that's where the, the V2Fs really come in handy where you don't need, uh, you know, necessarily a ton of extra contrast, but it's going to help. Now, um, if you're really trying to pull geese from a distance, I think the more flocking you have, the better. Uh, and, and that would either be the case for the black and white or even, uh, you know, after spending a, a, a bit of time hunting over the, the very first V2FFs, um, man, those things for being a naturally colored decoy pop very, very well. Uh, and, and it's just outstanding the way that they show up, even from a distance across uh, you know, an entire wheat field. Uh, you know, Kyle and I had a scenario this past week where we actually covered both ends of a wheat field because there were two groups of geese coming to this field from different bodies of water, taking different angles, and they were going to one side or the other. So we we actually split up, and um, you know, I could see his set that had the the fully flocks from the other side of this giant wheat field very very well. Kyle. Kyle, that, you there? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. So, um, sorry, somebody was trying to call in on the other line. Kyle, um, you're, you're at the but, scores table getting checked in, bro. It's time to hit the court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would I would very much agree, you know, with a lot of the scenarios that Forrest was, Forrest was uh, referring to. Um, with the V2s, uh, I personally, man, I, I'm, I'm a – I'm a firm believer in mixing mixing them all together. Uh, the V2s, especially, you know, on an X, uh, you don't really have to worry a whole lot of bringing birds off their flight line. Um, it, they're already coming to that general vicinity. Um, and like wolf ponds uh, would be a great example as well. But, you know, with, with being seen, uh, we were doing a, a really, really good demonstration with these at game fair. You know, we had two decoys out in the sunlight, um, and one was a, a V2A and one was a V2AF. And a guy would walk up and be like, "Man, what's the you know what's the difference between these two? And we just we just tell them, "Hey, we point in that general direction and be like, "Well, which one which one stands out more?" So, and and everybody was everybody was actually surprised at how much the flocking stood out. So in a, in a, in an aspect where you need to be seen, the flocking just pops. Um, so, you know, hunting, hunting traffic, hunting off the flight line, having to deal with a lot of other guys, uh, in the general area, say you're hunting in a Minnesota area or North Dakota, where everybody's freelancing around you as well. Um, public land or anything like that you might want to have something that's going to be standing out a little bit more than something, you know, where it's, it's visible, but it's not as visible. Sure. Now, aside from, and you touched on it briefly, but aside from flight line and visibility, do you feel like factors like time of year pressure 
weather. Do those have an impact on the amount of flocking you'd like to have in your spread? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I feel like, especially in the case of the, the new V2FS, uh, you know, weather plays a, a big key because, uh, you know, one of the things where people are, it really, it doesn't matter what decoy you've got. People are concerned about glare and whether that's something that's just naturally created by the sun and, and the, the shape of an object uh, or by dew or frost collecting on your decoys and then, and then you know, having a reflective surface. Um, I feel like there's definitely a time where, you know, flocking makes a big difference. And with that flocking, it absorbs that moisture so it doesn't reflect. So no matter the no matter the circumstances, you have a decoy that doesn't reflect and doesn't shine. And that's something that's going to, you know, dramatically change the silhouette game, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, even the, the folks who are most leery of hunting over a two-dimensional decoy typically shine is the only real Certainly. thing that they, they've, they've got to, to argue about. And uh, a lot of them are, are kind of skeptical and want to try it, but are nervous uh, because maybe, maybe they're, you know, they run Dave Smith's, you know, if you're, you're running the top of the line decoy, uh, you know, it, it might not feel right throwing something out there that's a little bit shiny or that, that doesn't have the exact same finish. But, you know, if you've got something like a, a flocked head or a fully flocked decoy, it changes the feel of it entirely. And uh, it's something that, in my opinion, uh, really just seals the deal and, uh, you know, helps everything blend together really, really well. And whether it's for high pressured birds uh, or for hunting birds on sunny days, uh, you know, where you're going to have that dew and that frost and have an environment that could potentially um affect the outcome of your hunt due to the weather conditions early early october late september is a prime example you know even into middle of october especially in the upper midwest is a prime example of very very cold you know brisk morning we're talking 35 36 38 degrees where we've got there there is a frost right there's a thick layer of frost and by the by eight o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> that sun's peaked up over the trees and all of that frost has melted. Um, you know, with with a flocked head decoy, that that dew is that 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 uh, residue, that water residue has has been absorbed. So you're already talking that um, that black head is automatically popping first thing in the morning right when it matters most right when those birds are starting especially on a cold day you know they're going to sit tight and they're going to they're going to uh, sit on water until 8 30 8 45 9 o'clock and then they're going to start flying well that's when it that's when it matters most of having that that visibility and whenever that uh, water residue is always already running off the decoy you know it's getting absorbed by that that blocking and they're going to be able to see it. Certainly. You know, going back to what Forrest said, I think the V2FF is going to be the nail in the coffin for the guys that have held out, held out because of the shine that you referred to or the sheen. But one thing that I do want to talk about is that what some people may refer to as glare Waterfowl have a sheen 
in very similar light as these decoys do to oil in their feathers. There's lots of times that I have driven by fields. We did one in game fair. And honestly, there was a bunch of Canada's out in this field and it looked like, honestly, from the road, it was like golden hour and it looked like a bunch of mirrors out there. And it was live Canada geese standing in this field. I've got videos. There's a picture that you guys took in Oregon last year of a live yes, bird. Yes. I've got a video yes, but- from Montana of uh, uh, honkers in a feedlot. There is a natural sheen that comes off of real feathers. Do not let something that may be from your angle that you perceive as shine be something that's not even throwing a red flag to incoming waterfowl. Because keep in mind, we've sent a drone up over enough massive silhouette spreads during different stages of the sun to show how the sun illuminates a flat object from above the horizon and the direction it's reflected when silhouettes are placed in the ground properly. Now, if you've got somebody wearing sunglasses, you got a, a thermos or a pie face and it glares back toward incoming birds. If they're approaching at the right angle, it's probably going to throw a red flag. It's not going to help you. We know that it's not going to help you, but I do feel like there are some doubters that often refer to decoy shine as what is actually just an illumination of a flat decoy when the light is hitting it right, when you're getting that same illumination on live birds, because I have the pictures to prove it. And I think this is why you're still seeing birds finish. You're seeing huge rainouts, big piles early in the morning and late in the afternoon during these times of golden hour or, or bright sunny skies because we know this light is not perceived the same way by incoming waterfowl it's, as it's perceived by us on the ground. Yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, that's, I, I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, you know, I think if, if silhouettes didn't work with low light or with high light uh, or over water, people would have figured it out by now and right. probably would, wouldn't would be, be out. putting up the big old would be out. It would be out. It'd be exactly. like you're busted, you're out, they but, don't work. And it would have been one of those things that came out long before us. You know, it's not like we invented right, silhouette right. hunting or anything, right? Years. It's, it's yeah, exactly. It's it's funny how uh, you know how so much of this comes up. Well, you know, now you can't do this or you can't do that. And they they've worked for a long time in every scenario. Uh, and and you know, it's it's all about being able to you know just take it back to the basics, be where they want to be when they want to be there, and don't screw it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want anybody to take that as me saying that shine is good. That's that's not yeah. at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying shine is good. I'm saying understand when live birds get hit in the right light, they put off an illumination. And yeah. the angle of the sun and the direction that it's reflected off of a silhouette, it's different. So while some people will say, eh, it doesn't matter, I still want the fully flocked, that's why I believe the fully flocked is like case closed, end of story. It doesn't really matter how it's in the yeah. ground. It doesn't matter what the light's doing early, late, midday. It's flat. It's always yeah. going to be flat. But the reality is that live birds in these same conditions are not always flat. I mean, as waterfowlers, I mean, everybody knows waterfowlers tend to overthink 
everything. And there's so many other factors that could be tied into, I mean, no wind, sunshine, no wind. Well, I mean, no wind, they're going to, they're going to do whatever they want. Right. You know, no wind, no windows make a waterfowler overthink everything. So there's, Absolutely. there's so many factors that come into play there. But like you said, man, it like, you know, I, I just sent a picture to our group chat. There's a, there's a goose that Oakley's bringing back. It, it's direct sunlight. And that thing is, uh, you know, it's shining like crazy. And it's a, it's a, it's a wide goose, yeah. you know, it's a, the one that was just shot. So, yeah. yeah. Got but, I mean, I'm feed lot last year and those dudes are like, I'm not kidding you. They look like mirrors. We were leaving the field and I was like, are you kidding me? I took a video. I'll, sh- I'll send it to you guys. If you haven't seen it already, it's unbelievable. But Forrest and I, you know, when we were hunting with those toy flocks, one thing that we noticed and we did multiple times and what we're excited about is, man, that is, I think the closest, uh, just the flocking scheme mixed with the paint and just everything. It is, we threw it on a pile of dead geese and it looks just like the geese that it's laying on top of. I mean, it is lights out. I think the cool thing about them is it's just one more variable you can eliminate. You know, while we're wanting to overthink everything, like you said, the, the lighting could be perfect on a no wind day and you'll still question everything you're doing. So I think that's the cool thing about the fully flocked is it's just one more variable that you can say definitively that that's not it. Got to control what you can, you know? That's right. All right, straight from that into one of the most effective decoys in the history of waterfowling, the black and whites. Now, these aren't your granddaddy's black and whites. The the V2 black and whites from Dive Bomb Industries are the only flock black decoys on the market. And there's simply, there's no comparison when it comes to the quality and contrast. I'm sure everyone listening already knows that it's no secret that the black and whites are one of our favorite decoys we make. For us, when does a guy need to have black and whites in his arsenal and how does he know when to bring them out? Uh, you know, need to, I don't know if I want to say, because frankly, I like to hunt over, hunt over about every time I go. Um, I feel like that the black and white's greatest asset is the visibility. So again, back to the running traffic or hunting in a field where contrast is difficult to create and visibility is hard to attain. Uh, case in point would be like a, a plowed corn field or a chisel plowed field, you know, a beet field, that kind of thing where you've got colors in the soil that are very similar to the natural colors of a goose uh, and to where the black heads or the flocked black heads are about the only thing that shows up. Um, so in those scenarios, I will always have black and white ready to go because they are um, they're just absolute game changers. Now, when it comes to, uh, you know, mixing them in on a daily basis, like I like to, I like to run typically a minimum of about 15 to 20% black and white. So, you know, if I'm running lessers in Colorado and running a hundred dozen, you know, I might have 15 dozen or if I'm hunting honkers somewhere and running 10 dozen, you know, I'm, I might only have a dozen and a half or two dozen. Out. Um, but the, the thing is, I've, I use these black and whites for a couple different things. So, you know, like we say, for visibility, I like to mix them in like that. Uh, you know, I do also like to use black and whites as giving the birds a target to finish to. 
So when, you know, birds are working, uh, say you're, you're doing a crosswind type shoot, you've got uh, kind of a J, we call it a J-shaped spread, where you're trying to get them to finish close to the edge of the field where you're hiding uh, and, and kind of towards that upwind corner. You know, you're, you're really trying to direct these birds. Well, I've found, and, and Kyle and I have really noticed, uh, especially this year, it's, it's been mind-blowing how predictable it is that the birds will finish to a pocket of black and whites. It's like that they'll work the spread, work their way all the way up. And that last little turn, that last little twist that they make just as they're setting down is typically going to be right in the vicinity of a nice little pocket of six or eight black and white decoys. Um, so I like to not only spread them throughout my spread, you know, somewhat evenly, but I'll also throw a nice pocket, uh, you know, where I'm trying to finish the birds. And it's been very, very effective there. Um, like you had uh, mentioned, we've also run spreads where we're 100% black and white. And I have all of the confidence in the world that even with a solid black decoy, um, that you can finish birds because we've watched them do it time and time again. Uh, especially running small spreads where we want them nice and loose uh, to make sure that we're emulating relaxed geese or that are, are spread out, just sitting in the field that they weigh the way they were the day before. Um, you know, being able to set out a small loose spread with a naturally colored decoy, you can do it, but the visibility just isn't there. You know, a lot of guys pack decoys really tight to make the, the black ball. Well, it's a lot easier to make a big footprint when the whole decoy is black flocking. I mean, it's amazing how loose you can set these and still see every single decoy from afar. Um, so they're, they're just absolutely spectacular. And to not limit it just to goose hunting, to take the V2 black and white duck hunting, that's where I've noticed the biggest game changer. Ducks will just go head over heels for these things and if you're hunting public water uh or if you're hunting just in the vicinity of other birds or uh, other hunters those black and whites are a magnet for ducks they don't stand a chance they can't say no it's just absolutely mind-blowing so to sum things up i can find a use for black and whites every single day uh no matter what i'm hunting and they're personally, they're the, the bag of decoys that does never come out of the back of the truck. Oh. Yeah, I mean, to touch on what Forrest was saying, uh, I mean, I on two trips already this year, we've, we've got photos of geese finishing over the black and whites, and they were the only black and whites in the spread, like two decoys or one. Heck, in Minnesota, we had... One black and white, we're trying to figure out why these birds are fin trying to finish up on the far upwind side of the spread. We look over, there's one black and white. We move it right in front of us, boom, keyed in on it. Like, it was like instantaneous next flock, boom, on that black and white. Same thing in Michigan with the little, uh, with Blakely, uh, you know, the little girl we took. It, it two black and whites out there, and we had three geese finish over them. We only killed one because our shooting was subpar, but it was it was it, it was crazy how much they just center up on those on those decoys. I I would use them every single day if I could. I, if if I'm going to, like like Forrest said, it's it's one decoy, one pack of decoy that's not leaving the truck. Um, they're almost always going to go out. Um, you know. From a from a they're they're a loud decoy in a, in that aspect they are they speak volumes because you can see them from so far away um, and they just pop 
so much more, especially if you get them cornfield, uh, wheat field, or even in the snow. I'm, I mean, it is it is a game changer um, with how these decoys, how far these decoys can be seen. And to touch, you know, more on what Horace said, I with the ducks, I utilized them last year because I was hunting a lot of public walk-in areas. And it is very easy to take a few floaters and one bag of five dozen black and whites line shore and you're instantaneously seen by the ducks. Basically anywhere in that WMA, those ducks, if they're high enough, they can see them and they key in on that black hole. Um, and it, it just stands out uh, so much more than other ghost decoys. I mean, last year, there was a particular instance, and Forrest has seen it. You'll see it this year, Asher, when you come to come to Washington. There's an area under the stretch of the river where there's literally probably three-quarters of a mile of raft of coots. No, no joke, maybe even a, a mile. And there's thousands of these birds. And uh, the only way you are going to be able to pull ducks off that raft of coots is with more coot decoys. Well, we don't make a coot decoy, we make black and whites. And I lined the shore with the black and whites, and I mean, it was, I mean, I'm pulling singles, pairs, triples off of that raft of coots because they're under the impression that this is just a big black hole that is, uh, is, a, is a safe haven for them. And uh, it, it worked extremely well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and like Forrest said as well, you know, spread them out throughout the field. Um, you know, five yards, five, six, seven yards apart, get a big, wide footprint, um, and you are seen from a long, long distance away. I feel like the black and whites can be confusing to some guys because you see all these decoys with realism and feather detail, and then you lay your eyes on these jet black decoys and think, how do I know when I need realism? And how do I know when I need powerful contrast? Can you guys just go into a little bit more detail to help give guys the confidence? Let's let's turn it back to honkers. Yeah. Uh, the confidence to know what to throw and when. You know, if I'm on a hard X, you know, hard X, it's sunshine. Do I need black and whites? Uh, I'm a, I'm a 200 yards off the X or I'm on a soft X, you know, they've been using in here, but kind of trading back and forth, not a hard X, like just a little bit more detail to cover a few more situations for people that might be listening. Um, to, I mean, like, like I said earlier, I, I run them in any instance confidently. Um, and, and to be honest, the only time I'd, I'd really worry about, realism when it comes to feather detail and stuff like that is if i know like say i'm i have the luxury of hunting an area where there's a lot of banded geese and i need to hold birds in the spread for a long time to be able to check them right um to be able to check legs check collars um that would be an instance where i'm going and leaning more towards a b2f uh, or V2FF whenever they come, because that bird's going to look more like an actual goose. But, I mean, as far as hunting an X with black and whites or V2Fs, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I'm a very conservative 
hunter when it comes to hunting an X. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm going to try to to match closer to what the amount of birds is going in there, but I wouldn't be afraid to to run a, a small number of black and whites on an X and then increase that number as I'm getting further away from that X, and whether it's a soft X or just running traffic, then that's when I'm going to increase that number. Right. The reason I ask is you see so often we get so many questions, guys say, how many do I need? You know, cause some days we have zero in the spread. Some days we've got 25%. Some days we're 50, 50 and there's times we'll throw a hundred percent. So that's what I'm getting at is helping people to try to understand when, where, why, how black and whites per standards. You know, I think it's one of those things that, as with anything in waterfowling, it's not science, right? You have to have kind of a feel for things. But do you experience? The, the question is, do you, do you need black and whites? I don't think you, you need anything in particular. I don't think there's you know too many things you really do need to have success. You can kill lots of birds, like I said, over the standard V twos to V two Fs. Um, you know, you can you can do it over any of it. I feel personally that I will have more success, uh, especially when I'm not on an X. If I have a higher number of black and whites visibility is key and in places like where where i'm from here on the front range of colorado every field for you know 100 miles is leased uh, and has been leased for the past 30 or 40 years probably by the same guy and will probably continue to be leased for the next 30 or 40 years by the same guy or by his descendants so we're unable to get on X's. Uh, this is a scenario in which I feel that black and white really excels and it helps you stand out and to, uh, it helps you look different than every other spread that they fly over. Uh, and it will pull birds from a long way away. And especially on windy days where your call can't be heard or on low pressure days, again, where the sound doesn't travel as well. Um, that visibility is the next biggest thing to being in the right location. If you're seen, you have the opportunity to pull birds uh, as opposed to where, you know, if, if you, heck, you may just be just on the wrong side of a little rise in the field or something, um, you know, if your decoys aren't visible, it's a lot tougher to convince birds to come and take a look. So, um, you know, I, I feel like black and whites aren't necessarily a necessity to be successful, but I can tell you, that from, oh gosh, I guess we're going on 21 years of waterfowling now. Uh, I only started hunting the fully flock black and whites uh, a couple of years ago. And I can tell you that there's a night and day difference in my ability to traffic birds and especially to pull birds from a long, long distance now running the black and whites as opposed to running um, really any other decoy. It doesn't matter, full body shells, uh, silhouettes, those black and whites add a pulling power that there's nothing like it on the market. I think summed up all this is said that there is no substitute for experience being in the field, understanding your area, what worked in the past, what didn't work based on those variables. We always talk about weather pressure time of year you can't there's no substitute for experience you have to get out there you have to learn these birds 
learn the birds you're hunting, their tendencies, what they're doing. And this doesn't just apply to your, your decoys. I mean, your call, what, what are they doing when a single comes in? What are the birds on the ground doing? What do the birds do on the ground when six or eight come in? What do they do whenever 50 come in? I mean, those are some little things that you can listen to what you can learn so much by just watching them, watch them, watch how they react with one another. Look at the way they're sitting, look at their spacing, take that experience and apply that to what you do in the field and learn from it. You know, I I see it as you either go out there and you kill them and it works. If you don't kill them, you didn't lose, but you learned. That's what you want to get out of it. You don't lose, you learn because you can take that information and hopefully maybe turn what was a two or three bird hunt. Maybe next time with a little experience under your belt in that situation, you might turn that two bird hunt into an eight, 10 bird hunt. And then a couple of years later, after you have more experience and that particular situation, you might turn that 10, 12 birds into 20 birds just by doing something really, really small. But Everything these guys have said, all of the knowledge, all of the information, it only comes from real life experience in the field. And there's no replacement for that. You can learn a lot from, you know, stuff like this and talking to people and what they do and applying that information. But until you go out there and do it yourself and witness it and get the confidence in it, that's how you grow as a waterfowl hunter. Just putting in the time whether it's scouting, watching these birds, hunting, just learn from it. Learn from the success and learn from the failure. Now, the other day a customer asked me a question that I straight up had no answer for him. He said, have you have you guys ever mixed black and whites in with your spec spreads? And if so, how did it work? I said, man, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I have never placed a black and white decoy in a spread I was targeting specs with. Forrest, what do you think old Barbelly would think of the beat up? <laughs> Man, uh, I, I, I've cleaned a lot of geese that I've taken over uh, over a few black and whites mixed in. I don't know if I'd run strictly black and whites, um, you know, as frequently as I would with Canada's, but I've had success with that. And I actually um, even was just talking to a guy about a week ago who, I was having success hunting snow geese with black and whites in the spread. Um, So I think it's one of those things that, you know, like you talked about, it's, it's weird shying away from realism and and going with a straight black decoy. But when it comes down to it, visibility, you know, kind of outweighs all of that. Uh, And I'm not going to say that there isn't a time for having the most realistic decoy possible by any means, but if they don't see you, you don't have a chance. And if yeah. visibility is a concern, I don't care what the species is. I think the black and white's a, a real big asset. Yeah. So, so actually, uh, Michael Steinmeier, uh, 2019 World Duck Hunt Champion, uh, he actually asked me about that a few years ago, and uh, he got he ended up getting some black and whites, and he hunts an area in southeast Missouri where it's a very it's a major flight path between two refuges um and this there most of the people down there uh are throwing all white spreads you know big you know 10 15 20 25 plus dozen uh snow goose spreads 
and that's how they're that's how they're killing specs mainly. That's that's a that's a a huge factor into their success rate. Um, well, you know, the past few years, the specs are getting more and more uh, educated to that, especially later in the year. And he ran a lot of black and whites mixed in with some spec decoys. And he, I asked him, uh, and he's like, "Man, it was it was good. We we did see um, a, a good majority of them were able to traffic them because that's they were they were." seeing that black decoy and keying and keying in on it and help with the ducks down there too because the ducks obviously if the specs are getting educated the ducks definitely are and he said that their success rate was quite a bit higher because of those black and whites mixed in interesting let's talk about another very popular topic among the waterfowl community can you mix silhouettes with whole bodies <laughs> Oh my gosh. I tell you what, I'm pretty sure you could cover all of our salaries if uh, we had a dollar for every time this question got answered. Um, this is one of, honestly, <clears throat> it's one of the best uses for them. I feel like a silhouette has, has always been known as a great filler with full bodies and a great way to expand, uh, you know, your spread size without having to A, spend a whole bunch of money. And B, take up a whole bunch of either truck space or trailer space. You know, there's not a whole lot that you can do um, or a whole lot of things that you can uh, fill space with like you can a silhouette. And where I can fit 120 dozen of the darn things in bags in the back of my truck with a topper, um, they work great. Alone, they work great with full bodies. And I feel like any people who have run into these issues with mixing them, uh, have typically been doing it in such a way that it highlights the difference in the two decoy styles, which can be an issue no matter, uh, heck, if you're running two brands of full bodies, even if they're just different colors or different sizes, um, you know, different, just big differences there. If you make a big line of demarcation or, or delineation between the two, it doesn't look natural. Um, and it's it's something that I I would say, um, I heck if, if I still ran full bodies, I would mix them all the time. Um, just because you can get so much more out of a silhouette and you can have that added illusion of movement just by having silhouettes in the spread appearing and disappearing as, as birds fly around in circles with their monocular vision. Um, so I, I really think it's, they, they really go hand in hand and, and work well and complement each other very, very well. From the sounds of it, F2 disagrees with you. He said, it sounded like he was saying that he's not a fan of mixing them. <laughs> well, well F, F2's, F2's never seen a full body in person, so I, think, I don't know if he's really ready. For I, I heard him chirping back there. Yeah. How, what do you think? I, man, I, I look at it as, I look at it as you are, whenever you run out to waterfowl hunt, you are the head coach, right, of your football team. And you have you have you need as many plays in the playbook as possible. Do you want one play or do you want twenty different? Because there's gonna be a different scenario of each, you know, whether you're hunting with a buddy that's got full bodies or anything like that, you absolutely can mix them and have uh, a ton of success with them. You know, and, and there's a time and a place for each of them. Um but, you know, why Why limit yourself, in my opinion, to one or the other? 
I think, you know, a lot of guys tend to get into the thought process of they're running all X brand of full bodies, right? Because they, they take a beating, they look the best, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Um, well, I mean, you go look at a field, not every single boost is looking the same either, you know? And then, like first said, too, you can give off a great illusion of movement with just the, the silhouette decoys mixed in there. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a, a slam dunk in my opinion to mix both um and there's going to be a situation where you're just going to run solely silhouettes and solely full bodies there's there's always going to be a scenario for that so uh in my opinion why why limit it yeah i think when you combine the effectiveness of two-dimensional and three-dimensional decoys you can yield some fantastic results if you have the means having ultra realistic full bodies in the arsenal is a great option at times our goal has simply been to prove they are not necessary for a waterfowler looking to have a great time and enjoy plenty of success in the field who may be operating on a budget that does not allow them to run full body decoys. On top of that, there are just plenty of application where silhouettes are a much better tool than full bodies. I think there's a few different reasons, you know, obviously why, they work so well together. I think what you lack in the fullness of a skinny decoy, I I feel like at times we make that up in numbers, especially as the season progresses. Like Forrest said, you're getting the perception of movement with a flat decoy. Full bodies, they're designed to be effective by looking aesthetically like a real goose. Silos work for different reasons. They have huge visibility due to distinct postures and outlines, strong contrast, realistic shadows, insane pulling power. Uh, Silhouettes naturally do not rely as heavily on realism as a full body. You can go back and, you know, you take that point. We talked about the uh, black and whites for, you know, 20 minutes, you look at them, it's kind of like, it's like Fred Zink. I think he said that their silhouettes are like a spinnerbait in your tackle box. I'm I'm pretty certain he said, I don't want to misquote him, but he said on a podcast that geese in general are more attracted to a silhouette decoy than any decoy. And this is a guy who revolutionize the decoy industry with full bodies and avian x but he understands that silos will always have their place and i feel like when you combine the two you take the strengths of the full body you take the strengths of the silhouette and i think i think at times it's a, it's an outstanding strategy there's sometimes you can't do that you know, if you've got to walk a long ways into a field and you do want to run a 15, 20 dozen spread and you're hunting with three, four guys, probably going to be an all silhouette day. If you have a time that you can get into the field a little easier, get your full bodies out there, it might be a day that you mix them. There might be some situations like Kyle alluded to earlier where you need to stick them and check them and, and you're, you know, it's a very strategic hunt. Might be a day you go ultra realism full bodies but talking about the plays in the playbook i I think as waterfowlers you have to do what fits your 
specific application in the area and the species that you're hunting. There's nobody that can tell you day to day based on the changes that you see from maybe mid August to North Dakota, all the way through spring specs in Oregon in March, exactly what you need to run to a T day in and day out. Because if you pigeonhole yourself into thinking there's one way that it has to be done or needs to be done every day, then you're just not going to see consistent success the way that another guy is that adapts and changes, whether it's his hides, you know, maybe he goes from an A-frame in the middle to maybe an A-frame on the edge to maybe a layout on the edge to maybe a layout in stubble to maybe laying on backboards and talls to heavy calling to light calling, moderate calling, maybe no calling at all. But all of those things come with education and experience time spent in the field. So with all that said, I think it's, it's hard to give good answers sometimes. I mean, that's why often you see us ask if somebody says, Hey, how many decoys do I need? And typically when you see a reply from us, the answer is like, Hey man, like we need more information. Like, I don't know if you're in central Kansas chasing a 15,000 lesser feed, or if you're in Wisconsin hunting 150 honkers, you know, like there's no way I can give you an answer saying how many decoys do I need or how many silhouettes do I need? Like I need information. I need to know where you are, what time of year it is. If we know the wind and the weather and the the hide and aerial of the field, if we can see it, it doesn't mean we've got a magic eight ball where we can give you the perfect formula to kill a limit but we can apply maybe what we've done in that area at that time with those birds that we have experience with and give you the best information we possibly can. But again, that just goes back to experience with maybe somebody that we did hunt with in that area that, that is very much ahead of the curve when it comes to, you know, where they're at in their waterfowl journey. So go back to, you know, talking about situations for, silhouettes and full bodies obviously you know there's so many different scenarios to go with it but i mean you talking horse and i were talking about it the other day asher you and i experienced it last spring i mean we've got a mix like we literally had a mixture of full bodies and silhouettes on one of our trips and it was dumping snow and 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 it was very unexpected snow because we didn't we weren't anticipating it uh but it was dumping snow and we look over at one side of the spread it's all full bodies and we look at one the other side of the spread it's all silhouettes and you know there's no snow on the silhouettes and there's a pile of snow on the on the full bodies because it can the the birds the birds can't see them because they're covered in snow so it's very situational for sure yeah boys you got anything to add you know, honestly, I think you guys summed it up pretty darn well. I think there's, you know, a place and time for everything. And, you know, I think if, uh, you know, if you want to, <laughs> if, if you want to rule things out, um, you know, I, I take it back to a, a famous uh, Star Wars quote that I, I like to drop, and that's uh, only the Sith deal in absolutes. So there's, <laughs> there's, there's no good time uh, or bad time necessarily for anything. It's just black and white. You have to go out. You have to try it. And even when you ask us for, for what we would do, 
it's just our opinion. It's just our best guess. And our best guess is typically pretty good because we've done it for a long time, but we're wrong almost as often as we're right. And that's just one of those things that, you know, take your, take your own experience and, and hold it above all else. You know, if you can learn from other people, that's great. Take some things with a grain of salt, but you know, there's, there's no, uh, real rhyme or reason or no scientific fact, um, you know, to, to put together a formula to have a successful hunt every single day. No doubt. Kyle, you got any closing remarks? Oh man. Not, can be about anything. Really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> anything you want. Um, man, uh, from what, from what I've seen this year is when dealing with the situation where anything's uncertain, uh, with decision-making is just go with your gut real quick. Cause I mean, there might be an instance where you got to make a change real quick or it's, or it's something that's, you know, you're two hours before shooting line and you're still uncertain about what's going on. I mean, go with your gut and see how it plays out. Because like Asher said earlier, every hunt, every hunt is a learning experience and take something from that hunt. You don't take anything from it. It's not, uh, don't take anything away from it. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not how it's supposed to be in my opinion. I agree. That's my conclusion. Be a student of the sport, learn the bird that you're chasing and you're going to be more successful, plain and simple. Watch them, listen to them. If you ain't got them to watch until they get there, go watch, go watch them on YouTube, watch them in nature. That's pretty much all I got guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think a lot of, folks will find this one to be informative and hopefully they can apply some of this information in the field this fall. I will talk to both of you gentlemen very soon. See you buddy. Thanks for everything. All right, fellas. Yep. Thanks for having us. Bye guys. See you. All right. That's a wrap. Hope you all enjoyed that one. And also hope you guys are enjoying the vlogs we are dropping weekly on YouTube. I know you guys enjoyed the hunter until in Texas, the thing had like 25,000 views in the first 24 hours. That was a fun one. Thank you all so much for spending part of your day with us. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.